Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. You're listening to our daily podcast edition of the program. I'm delighted to welcome Congressman Tom Coleman. He's a former member of Congress, a policy expert, and advisor to protect democracy. He is helping lead the Election Task Force, which is a cross-partisan national task force on election crises to offer a response to what we anticipate to be electoral crises or at least concerns um, and wanting to ensure a free and fair 2020 general election, presidential election and federal and state elections as well. Congressman Coleman, thank you for your time today. Well, thank you for the invitation. And I think you pretty well summed up what our mission is on this task force. I would also mention that it's a uh, uh, nonpartisan, bipartisan. We have uh, people of every kind of stripe and interest. And some very leading people who are on it, including former Secretary of Homeland Security Michael Chernoff, uh, Trey Grayson, who was former was the Secretary of State in Kentucky. We have election experts uh, from the law. We have academics like Norm Ornstein, who's a well-known author and academic. Michael Steele, who used to be the chairman of the Republican Party. Um, and also uh, Colin Powell's, uh, uh, Secretary of State Colin Powell's uh, former chief of staff, Larry Wilkinson, just to name a few, as well as the president of the uh, NAACP uh, Legal Foundation. So we've kind of covered the waterfront. We have a lot of expertise. Um, and in elections this year, Alexander, the expertise uh, is, is really needed from cybersecurity, from what we recognize now in today's world and what may probably happen in the 2016 election, uh, as well as national security, uh, as all of this is uh, formulated into uh, really an image of what the United States is all about. One of the facts, though, is that you do not have cooperation necessarily from the Trump campaign or the Biden campaign in establishing these principles. But there's only one candidate this cycle who has refused to accept the results um, and promise to transfer power um, under the circumstances of his defeat. And that's President Trump. Um, So, you know, do you think that there's enough conservative Republican uh, respect for the navigation of these crises um, because folks like Michael Steele and Trey Grayson, they're, they are retired like yourself, not part of the current Republican Party. Are there folks who, who will vote for him on your task force or connected to your work who will help ensure that if he does lose um, that he will accept the normal transfer of power. Well, that's a, that is a big concern of ours. <clears throat> we just even talked about it yesterday on a, on a, at a meeting. Um, I know what the president has said, and it's a very uh, disconcerting because one would never expect uh, a president of the United States to say that uh, he or she would not abide by the results. Um, and he has labeled the camp the election results. So. Uh, weeks ago as uh, as fraudulent uh, without before even early voting started. So it's pretty obvious what he wants to convey to the public. He wants to delegitimize 
uh, this election outcome. But I think you also have uh, flying in the face of that uh, several polls, including, I mean, uh, non-political polls. Uh, the Pew Foundation, uh, Pew Research has a poll that I noted uh, recently where the large majority of both parties, certainly more in the Democratic Party than the Republican, but still well over a majority of Republicans are prepared to accept the results even if their candidate loses. And I think it would be hard to try to jumpstart uh, uh, an, uh, an effort by this president or any president when the public is so much recognizes that uh, what it is. And from that standpoint, with all the misinformation that has gone out throughout the, the years of this administration, uh, and certainly about the election, I think that really is something that that many, many of us still have confidence in the system. And that is, Congressman, a fundamental confidence in the American people and, and their respect for that norm, for the transfer of power, for abiding by the election results. If there, is, if there are fits and starts of civil unrest that the majority of the American people will not accept that, and therefore uh, it will not persist, um, even if there is some antagonistic behavior in the immediate aftermath. But one of the particular issues in, the, in this pandemic is the counting of votes. And so there will be, by the president and others, premature and false victory declarations based on incomplete returns and very few precincts reporting. I believe that if not from the president, there will be candidates this cycle who, who attempt to do that. So take us through what your plans are at the task force. Well, you've had to prepare for this vote for months. Uh, and of course, remember that our elections are not done on a federal basis or a national basis. They're a quilt of 50 plus the District of Columbia, 51 jurisdictions with their own state laws, their own rules and regulations. And um, from that standpoint, it's so diversified. And I must say that there are a number of Republican governors and Republican uh, election officials, usually the Secretary of State, uh, who have, uh, uh, have shown no interest in trying to confuse the public who have made uh, voting more easier because of the pandemic. And yes, there are some outliers. Um, and it is what it is, as we say. Uh, when the governor of Texas reduces the amount of pickup uh, ballot pickup boxes, drop boxes, to one per county, including uh, the county where Houston is with its four or five million people, you can, you can rest assured that he's not really interested in people uh, being able to vote uh, as much as the, they would like. When you have, um, you know, hours, 10 hours, up to 10 hours of people waiting in line to vote uh, in Georgia for the last two days at the, as they started their early voting, you know, there's something wrong in, in, uh, in the administration of, of that uh, election. And they've had trouble before in their primary system. So, you know, uh, the the long and short of it is, I think, without these kinds of major hiccups, that a lot of it is going to go smoothly. Let's remember, because of the pandemic that you mentioned, um, we see probably about 40 percent 
of all of the votes this year will be cast by absentee ballots. That's much more than the 20, 25% uh, in a normal election. 20% is, are expected to vote in these early voting uh, states. So that leaves 40% of the voters actually showing up on election day, um, where in the past, the lines may have been long, they're gonna be shorter this year because the number of people uh, simply are have already voted. Um, so, you know, I know we hear all these things and we spin all these scenarios up and we kind of get caught up in them. But to answer your question, uh, there are some key states that we can look at on election night to see probably how the outcome is because under our electoral college system there, as you know, and your listeners know, seven to, I would say seven swing states that, are, that usually will determine the election. They certainly did in 2016. This year um, in Florida, that's one of the key swing states, perhaps the biggest. Um, their election laws allowed them to start opening and tabulating absentee ballots on the 29th of September. So they've been doing that for some time. They will be able by election night to have tabulated sufficient number of votes plus the votes that came in on election day to pretty well determine um, who won the state of Florida. If, uh, if the president loses the state of Florida, it's almost impossible, not until it's over, but it's almost impossible for him to carry enough electoral votes to win the reelect. So that's a real key. And another one is Arizona. Now it's out further west, so their time is going to be three hours different from Eastern time. But they also have the ability to count absentee ballots before Election Day. And they, they have been and will be doing it for a good month. So those two are kind of, and you can throw in North Carolina in, in the middle of all that. And those three states and the ability to count their absentee ballots early will pretty well give us uh, where we're going. So we may not have this concern that we have expressed and we've tried to, to relate to the media and educate the media as well is don't try to uh, call an election election night because of the confusion of all of these absentee ballots because in many states you can't count them until the election day. You're describing a scenario in which outcomes are clear in three of the states that are allowed by state law to count on election day or leading up to election day. That's one hypothetical. That's that's a one of the better of the worst case scenarios amid this election turmoil. Even in that scenario, Congressman, you know, if the results were not clear until the next morning or 48 hours and at any point one candidate is is ahead, Donald Trump is ahead in the case of the candidate who said he will not lose this election. What is the task force suggesting we do um, besides what you already said yeah. in, in, in the media, um, right. for the media and for the states to be clear if there are projections, um, that's all they are, not to call any races until the secretaries of state have completed the process in the respective 50 states. But let's say there are states in which votes will be counted over days, if not weeks. And in New York, for example, the law was that you could not count absentee or mail ballots for seven days, seven days. You can't control uh, what the president says or does, but the American people, I think, have wised up 
And um, again, going back to the polling, and we've done some internal polling uh, with the task force, uh, the vast majority of, of people now understand that this is not election day, it's election week, it's already going on, it's going on right now as we speak, and, and it will continue to go on. And the results, uh, they're not expecting the results to be as instantaneous as we've seen in the past. They are well aware of the importance of absentee ballots since um, you know, as many people are going to be voting absentee as they are on election day. So the, the public is now not going to be uh, staying up all night because it could be days and weeks. Now, you mentioned New York. New York's not in play. California's not in play. You know, probably 43 states are not in play. That doesn't mean that someone who has lied vociferously and vehemently as president would try to, you know, what, what's been called this red mirage, would, would yeah. attempt to disinform the electorate that he is actually competitive in these states because, you know, two thirds of the ballots haven't been counted yet. And I am afraid of that situation. And the media uh, have have had a habit both during the 2016 campaign and, and during the Trump administration of um, really doing the stenography of misleading and disinformation uh, from Donald Trump's tweets. And so um, I can already envision uh, a scenario in which 15% of precincts are reporting or 30% of precincts are reporting. Trump is up in in New York or California, and he starts to try to disinform people that that that's the direction the race is intended to go and that, and he will, he will win, you know? And, uh, and so I, I just wonder if your task force has any specific guidance on that? The guidance um, basically is through the media. We have had uh, one very good, uh, we, we had a, about 100 uh, media representatives from the, the uh, networks to the newspapers and online publications uh, where we set forth um, all of these concerns, uh, Alexander, that, that you mentioned, plus uh, how to respond and why to respond and their role and their responsibilities in this whole process. And we're going to have another one coming up. Uh, it's our hope. And the only thing that we can do is to bring it to people's attention and through the media uh, and, and, and just see what happens. I think the president who is so impulsive and has so many other, other problems, making these announcements on election night is kind of like, you know, uh, telling us that the virus is just disappear. People don't believe that. I mean, now a certain number of people might believe that, but the vast majority of Americans don't believe that the pandemic is going to be over because he announces it. So uh, let's have a little bit more faith, I think, in the fact that that perhaps with all this early voting and the interest in this campaign, uh, it may not be as close as, as the president would have wished. And if that's the case, then all of these scenarios will be you know, forgotten very soon. But they do have to be counted. Every vote has to be counted. And the election systems that are set up all over the country uh, assure that. It may be slow and there may be contests, but those eventually through our system of, uh, of our elections are resolved eventually. So there's a lot of scenarios, for example, how this could happen or that could happen. And elect because we don't have popular vote, we have electoral college, we all know about that. How, how are the electors selected? When are they selected? 
can the state legislatures get themselves involved with overturning them? No. Uh, the president says he's going to send people into uh, the polling places, um, you know, his people, uh, his people being some of these people who are arrested in Michigan, I think, because uh, he was telling, telling uh, these types of um, individuals to uh, liberate uh, Michigan, liberate Virginia. And so they plotted against both of their governors. It's, it's disgusting. But uh, it's against the law for him to send any military force into election areas. It's a 1948 law. It's a felony. Do you think that states should be prepared to deploy their National Guard in, in the event of unruly? I do. I, I think that, that in any reasonable governor would have prepared uh, that opportunity for the, him to or her to call in the Guard uh, in order to assure a, a free and fair election. That's the basis of our democracy. And if we don't have a free and fair election, then you know, we're on our rather rapid slide to banana republic status. So I do think the governors need to have a standby order. And it's certainly not the um, um, to intimidate uh, like the president's uh, intentions are, but to, uh, to, to keep the peace. And local police as well. Uh, mayors have a role. Uh, the police force to assure that uh, people are not in being intimidated. You know, it's against the federal law and every state has a, a voter intimidation law. So just showing up and, and, um, and, and doing what the president anticipates people doing is, is already against the law and, and they, they need to be, uh, you know, uh, dealt with that way. So in the scenario in which it is a real nail biter and in many states, their um, results are, too close to call for days, um, there will be the temptation not just to eliminate vote counting of ballots that may have come in after election day, which were legal under the state statutes, but to actually just stop counting altogether. Um, That is a plausible scenario. How are you dealing with that? I'm not sure how how plausible that is because most of these election officials, I mean, that's, remember, it's not just the state, the, the, the elected official, let's call them the secretary of state in most cases. It's the local county people. Uh, this is their life. They, they, they spend their entire professional life making sure that people are properly registered and that the voting systems are up and running and so on. And it's not just on election day. They're there around around every you know 365 days a year, and 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 then on election day you <clears throat> and you also have these people making sure that the right people are voting and that the votes are are reflected. And they're they're volunteers uh, in many cases. They do represent a member of the two major parties uh, there. I, I think it's very hard to actually stop the stop the wheels uh, from from turning in our election system um it, it would be a violation of their own state laws and, <laughs> i mean alexander i have gone through all these scenarios and you can and, and it's the worst case scenarios i think the worst case scenario would be that they'd all shut down their county right, and then right have, but, who's yeah. going to, who's going to be the one to certify the election results the governor in some states by law Secretary of State and other states by law, but somebody's got to certify something, and then it's going to go through the process. And the process is that those so-called electors 
that are selected by who you vote for for president on election on election day uh, actually then have to be uh, announced and, and by the 8th of December this year. And, and then by the 14th of December, they meet in all the states and they tabulate and those are certified. And then if those are certified based upon, as you have suggested, some very bad happenings, uh, they are going to be contested uh, in the United States House of Representatives. Understood. All of this, all of this is possible, very improbable. Right. And, and what I was getting at, Congressman, is this idea that you could have courts and, and ultimately the Supreme Court force the hand of counties and states in their certification processes. I mean, if, if you play back. Yeah. Yes, there's a Which lot of litigation more. going on, Alexander. There's a lot of litigation now to, to, uh, to, as you referenced earlier, to allow the counting of ballots after election day, whatever. Um, and, and some of them break toward the Republicans and some break toward the Democrats. And it's, a really, it, it's not consistent at all. Yes, the Supreme Court could get involved. The U.S. Supreme Court could get involved, as it did in, in the Bush v. Gore in 2000. And it is possible that that will happen. Um, but that would happen under litigation that everybody's ready to, to, to watch and see what happens. But the ultimate decision, uh, very likely under a lot of these scenarios would have to be done in the House of Representatives. Right. I'm just wondering what the country should be prepared to do differently than what transpired in 2000 as it relates to a federal judiciary coming in and saying, you can't keep counting. We know, given Donald Trump's authoritarian attitudes, that he will claim results that he dislikes to be fraudulent. And if it's close, if, the, if it is a nail biter, he will try to get votes from um, for Joe Biden to be discounted. Um, and if those votes are coming in after election day, even if they were submitted on election day, but are counted after election day, um, there is the possibility that it, you know courts courts act you know in in, in uh, attempt to undermine the will of the people and the will of those uh, counties and their and their counting processes. So I, I guess as a final question, what? does the task force suggest we do differently to prepare for those kinds of judicial activist uh, rulings that would thwart the will of the people in states and counties? We have um, um, an umbrella. We, we might be considered an umbrella group, but we're, we have all these other nonprofit organizations that feed into us. And we work with others that are not on the task force who are already in litigation in a sense that they are doing what you're suggesting, uh, anticipating in some cases, but it's happening now. But there will be a number of organizations that will be prepared to um, go to, to file, uh, to respond to uh, efforts that you, might, that you have considered. Uh, and it may go to the Supreme Court. So they, it will be litigated. And um, you know, as a as a person who was trained in the law myself, I would would have to abide by the final decision. The final arbiter in a litigation would be the Supreme Court of the United States. It may not be the final determinant 
if the if the um, House of Representatives makes the decision. But you have to stop somewhere, and and that's kind of under our system is is where you would stop. There's no appeal from the Supreme Court. Now, <clears throat> there's nothing that we can do to change that other than to point out what we believe the law is and put it on our website and counsel um, various uh, election officials and states and counties uh, what we believe the law is. And then if there's litigation, there's litigation. There's plenty of people who are ready to go on both sides on that. So it, it, you would think that the election system in a, in a mature democracy like, like ours would, would have this nailed down. but like everything else in our government, <clears throat> we have seen that a lot of it's been based on good faith uh, or norms. Uh, and now we're outside the norms because of this president. And so now we have to relook at all of this and there'll have to be a rewrite of a lot of things. Uh, and I think part of it will, will have to be identified as some of the things we talked about today. Thank you so much for your insight, Tom Coleman, and I wish you and the task force all success with ensuring a free and fair election this November and in the weeks ahead. Good to be with you. Thank you.